Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Last week, we started a, a two-part series called The Good Fight. And um, if, if you were not here uh, and didn't have a chance to listen to it, I would encourage you to go ahead and take that time to do so, um, to really put the fullness of what this is, is about together, because I believe that understanding what we're talking about is key to what you're going to experience in your life. It is absolutely key to what you're going to see God do in your life and the kind of impact that God's going to make uh, in, in your world and things that are going to happen is key to understanding this principle. In the early days of our church, Leslie and I started in our, in our living room, and, um, you know, and then we eventually, fairly quickly, moved to a community league, a glorious community league. Yes, wonderful. You've never been in one of those, have you? Well, when you walk in on a Sunday morning, your feet stick to the floor because of the beer spilt on the party the night before. And that's how we, that's how we would start, was going in and mopping that up so we didn't have sticky feet going on. And uh, I had an old van back then, and uh, my van was the church van, you know what I'm saying? And so it, it'd be like, okay, it's cold out. I pray this thing starts, you know, and because and, I got to deliver the music equipment. Then I got to drive over to the university because I was also the student ministry guy who would pick up students and pray every time they bring a friend. So we'd have some church growth. And, and then you'd hope, you know, all the musicians could make it. You know, and it'd be like, you know, whenever you heard that the drummer couldn't make it, you're like freaked out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's some things we can do without, but we cannot do without that. So at any rate, it, you know, and, and of course, they'd all, you know, they'd make it for most of the time. And, 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 and usually, you know, they weren't suffering from a hangover, so that helped too. But um, we had a rough start, I'll tell you. Uh, but you know what? We, we just go ahead and do what we had to do. And there was all kinds of obstacles and challenges along the way and problems and battles and things to be dealt with. But without a doubt, the greatest fight from week to week was never what was happening in our circumstances. The greatest fight from week to week was what was happening in our thoughts and in our emotions. That was the greatest battle. See, the good fight is not just about you dealing with circumstances around you, but it's about you dealing with what's going on inside of you. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And then he says this, I have kept the faith. Can we just read that together? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. How many of you know kept the faith is not about the circumstances, it's about what's going on inside of you? It's about what's going on inside of you. Keeping the faith is what keeps you in the fight. And, and no matter what your fight is, you keeping faith is key to getting your victory and to bringing about change in your life. You might be dealing with an addiction in your life right now. You need to keep believing for your freedom. 
You, you might be having struggles in your marriage. Believe there's better days ahead. You might be wrestling through some financial issues. Believe for that to turn around and for increase to come. Maybe you're facing issues in your health. Believe God's word for healing, his promises, and that there's improvement that's gonna happen. Maybe you're struggling with conflict in relationships, be that at home or at work. Believe for peace. Believe for reconciliation. Believe for harmony. Maybe you're working through some things with your job or with your business. Uh, don't, don't just settle. Believe for progress and breakthrough. You have to keep believing if you're going to keep taking action. When you stop believing, you will stop fighting. When you stop believing, you will stop trying. You'll stop doing the work. You'll just accept the way things are, come what may. And if you stop fighting, you remove yourself from the position you need to be in for victory to happen and for God to bring a breakthrough for you. You might quit before the breakthrough. You might quit before the answered prayer or before the turnaround solution finally comes to you. And if you give up on your fight, you stop believing God's promises. Here's the next thing that happens is you become cynical towards his promises. And you become that person who says, yeah, I, I used to believe, you know, that God wanted to bless me, but, you know, things just never change. You know, I used to believe that God wanted me to have a happy marriage and family, but look at the things we're struggling with. Oh, I used to believe all those promises, you know, about when you follow Jesus, what should happen in your life. Listen, when is, when is it going to be a good time for you to stop believing God's promises for your life and for others? When is it going to be the right time for you to be able to have peace about, well, I'm just not going to believe for that person anymore. I'm just not going to believe for my family anymore. I'm just not going to believe for my business anymore. When are you going to have peace about stopping believing for those things? Instead of keeping the faith, what will happen is you'll criticize the faith, claiming it didn't work for you. Yeah, I tried that. I used to believe for things to be better. I used to believe those promises. I used to believe God had a plan for my life and wanted to bless me, wanted to heal me, wanted to work inside of my world. But you know what? I've just not seen it, so I just stopped believing all that stuff. And now I just rationalize why it won't work for me. You know, that's basically what a deconstructionist is. A former Christian who became a cynic and gave up on the fight. And they quit the faith instead of keeping the faith. Maybe you wonder, why should I fight in the first place? I mean, why should I? Why should I battle for change? Why should I expect things to change or improve? Why should I expect things to be different in the first place? The foundation for expecting is found in God's promises. His word is his will for your world. And it's in God's promises that you find the foundation for all these things. You were not created to live a life that is constantly in defeat, having a family that's just full of strife, living in poverty, never breaking out of that, becoming a closet alcoholic because of the pain in your heart and a heart full of fear and bitterness. That is not God's design for your life. That is not something that you should just accept. Instead, Jesus told us specifically how to pray when he said this, pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. 
That is God's intention for you, that you receive through faith in him and through believing in him the experience of that prayer answered in your world. The starting place of heaven on earth is believing that God wants to bring heaven on earth in your life, in it now. And the cross is the place where God provided for that promise to actually come to pass. Jesus bore our infirmities, he bore our suffering, he bore our pain, our sickness, all of it. Isaiah 53 and verse four says this, yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced through for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten, listen, so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. There's a religious saying that you might have heard that goes something like this. Well, I guess this is just my cross to bear. You've heard somebody say that. It's somebody looking at pain in their life and then deciding that, you know, Jesus bore a cross that was painful. This is my painful cross that I'm to bear. I guess this is, and the idea is that because Jesus carried a painful cross that we're supposed to do the same. There's a problem with that statement. It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. People make all kinds of religious statements. They're not even in the Bible. Jesus, the Bible says, bore our sins, carried our sickness, and paid for our restoration and our well-being. Why would, should we be carrying something in our life that Christ already carried to the cross? Keeping our faith in what Jesus provided for us on the cross is the key to the good fight, to the good fight. How is it then that people can lose faith? Paul says, I kept the faith. Obviously, he saw people that lost it. There are three things that can cause you to lose the faith that we're going to talk about. You can lose the faith by being either disillusioned, disappointed, or discouraged. Disillusioned, disappointed, or discouraged. These are your internal battles to fight. First of all, we can lose our faith by becoming disillusioned. You say, why do people get to be disillusioned? We become disillusioned when our perception about how things should be has been broken. We, we have this perception of how God's going to work. Well, this is how God, God works. And then when it's broken on, on us, we can become disillusioned about, well, maybe I shouldn't have believed that in the first place. I think of the story of Naaman. Naaman was, in the scriptures, a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He's known as being a great man. Um, the Lord gave him victory in battles for Aram. So this guy was like a prized leader to his king. Well, Aram has a slave girl who serves his wife, and, and this slave girl finds out that Aram's got leprosy, and, and she makes a comment about, man, it'd just be great if we could get my master, Naaman, to be able to connect up with Elijah, because if he did, I'm sure that he would get healed. Well, Elijah hears about Naaman's leprosy, and so he sends word to the king and says, listen, send Naaman over to my house. Send, send him on over. Second Kings chapter 5 is where we begin to read from the scriptures. Verse 9, so Naaman 
came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of Elijah's house. Think about this. He's invited Naaman to come to his house. This guy shows up with, the Bible says, not just a chariot. He doesn't just bring his car. He brings his summer car. He brings a few other toys and some show and shine products that he owns. I mean, he just brings the whole deal. He doesn't just show up with a horse. He brings his horses. So probably there were his men with him. It's like right at the front door of the prophet's house is this unbelievable display of chariots, of horses, all the rest of it. Damon's standing there with this attitude that says, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. And um, that, that's kind of how he shows up. Well, watch how Elijah responds. Elijah doesn't go, oh, he's here. I need to get his autograph. Elijah doesn't go, oh, great. We'll get a miracle. I'll take a selfie. I'll post this on Instagram later. It's all good. This is awesome. Elijah doesn't even come to the door. He doesn't even bother to go there. Look at this. And Elijah sent a messenger to him. So Elijah's like in the family room watching sports or whatever prophets do. I don't know. But at any rate, he's, not, he's like, oh, there's a knock on the door. Who is it? Oh, it's that Damon guy. You ask him all. Oh, okay. Well, here's what you need to go tell him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. That's it. But Naaman was furious and went away, and he said, Behold, I thought. There's the key to understanding his problem right there. Behold, I thought. He will certainly come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the site and cure the leprosy. Where did you get that idea? Your last church? I mean, come on. But that's what he's thinking. That's what's going on in his head. Are Abana and Pharaoh, the rivers of Damascus, not better than the waters of Israel? He's like, I can't believe it. You had a choice and you picked the Jordan? It's a muddy river. It's not a clean river. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Came in a chariot, left in a rage. His victory wasn't being delivered as he had imagined it. So he almost completely missed it. At this point, Naaman's just offended. It's like, I had this understanding about how I would think you would do this. That's why I brought everybody to watch, because I thought this is going to be, this is really going to be something. And if you know the story, then you know what happened was that his servant talks him out of his emotional state of anger into an attitude of humility to just simply accept the word of the prophet, accept the instructions, and he goes ahead and he washes in the Jordan and he is healed. You see, Naaman had an illusion that got disillusioned. His illusion was this, that God's promises don't require our participation in order to receive them. That was his illusion. But the reality was that the promises of God are often in the context of our partnership with God. 
And if we think that the promises are disconnected from our participation, we can become disillusioned by how things are turning out or not turning out. Naaman only wanted a promise, but what God gave him was a process. And a lot of times that's how the promises come to pass in your life and my life. We, we don't just have a promise that we go, oh, we got a promise, that's all it's gonna take. No, we got a promise, but we're in partnership. We're walking with Jesus and he gives us a process. But I think this is an illusion that becomes disillusionment in many people's lives today. And I know it's an illusion because of the conversation, because of the way people talk, the language they'll use, that'll go something like this. Well, if it's meant to be, it'll just happen. If it's meant to be, it'll just happen. If it's the will of God, then God will just make it work out. You know, if it's a promise from God, I'm not so sure there should be conditions. Well, you know, the Lord, if he closes a door, he opens a window. Oh, dear Lord. We come up with some of the dumbest stuff. It's like, I actually heard that on television. I'm just like, would Hollywood read the Bible, please? Oh, if it's the Lord, there'll be an open door for us. Do you know the devil knows how to close doors for you? And I've found there's a lot of great doors I've walked through that I had to kick them open. That they weren't open doors at the time, but I felt like behind it was what God had for us. God's promises are in the context of partnership. He is working with you. The promises, though, set your expectations about what he will do. And when our expectations are set, our, our actions will follow our expectations. You know, this church has grown and advanced in regards to things like reaching people and acquiring properties and all those sorts of things over the years, 30 to be exact. But it's always been in the context of struggle and things that we fought for. And, you know, being sure of God's promises is great. And, and, you know, people are like, well, man, I know that God promises to bless us. Yeah, but the scripture also says he will bless the work of your hands. He will bless the work of your hands. So your hands might have to do some work along the way to see his promise fulfilled. If we thought in advance that the church would just grow and buildings would happen and it would all just work out without us needing to necessarily do anything, we could have been disillusioned a long time ago. You see, like Naaman, we could have had our illusion about how God would work independent. All we have to do is pray and it's just gonna happen. That's all we gotta do. You ever heard people talk like that? Well, we just if we just pray, that's all we have to do. I'm not hating on prayer, by the way. You do need to pray. But I'll bet that in the midst of your praying, the Holy Spirit might want to give you a process. God gives a process. He always gave us a process. The process wasn't always the same. But I want to tell you that if you're looking for the promise of God to come to pass, seek God about the process. Don't be disillusioned by thinking, oh, this is going to happen. Next thing is disappointment. This is the other battle. You can lose your faith if you feel disappointed by God. Things didn't turn out the way you expected. Disappointment is described as unfulfilled expectation. Unfulfilled expectation. You, you think, this is what God's gonna do, and, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You know, David, who was promised to be the next king, David and, and, um, 
in the scriptures. Uh, the prophet Samuel picks him out and says, you're gonna be the next king of Israel and anoints him with oil and all the rest is spoken about right in front of his family, all the rest of it. And uh, I, I can just think about David hearing those words and what might've been going through his mind at that time. It's like, I'm gonna be the next king. Well, you have to realize Saul was only coronated just a little bit before. So David was around for Saul's coronation. David knew what a coronation looked like. There's crowds of people. It's this massive celebration. It's this public acknowledgement and the prophet is there. And it's, it's like, this is a big deal. And I'm sure that somewhere in the back of David's mind, he's thinking, wow, this is what's gonna happen to me. Oh, by the way, just so you know, David was not like 35 when this happened. The, the history tells us he was more like about 15 to 19. Oh, that'll preach. That's why we get teenagers together and fill their hearts with vision because God wants to put vision inside of young people. He doesn't want to wait till they go through a whole bunch of trouble, waste their life, make a bunch of bad decisions, get disillusioned, and then go, oh, by the way, I always want to do something with your life. No, God comes to you when you're young. Yeah, but I'm young and ill-prepared. That's the point. That's what's good about it. It's like, get it in your heart now so that you got something to prepare for and you got a reason to live the way that you live because you got vision for how God's gonna work in your life. I told you to preach. <laughs> Moving right along. So here's David, called by God. Gets this prophecy, all the rest of it. What does he do? He's told, you're going to be a king, so he acts like one. Decides, I'm not going to let this giant intimidate Israel. He goes and takes out Goliath. I'm sure in the back of his mind, he thought, okay, I got Goliath. Saul's just given me the promise that he made of whoever takes him out. This is all the things that are going to happen in his life. It's all good. Should be coronation time pretty soon. No. He spends 15 years after that running from Saul and his men trying to kill him. 15 years. I'm sure this is not how he expected to succeed the throne. But here's the thing about it. Comparison is a great way to create disappointment because it causes us to expect God to act in our life the way we saw him act in somebody else's life. And you can watch what God does in other people's worlds and you can be inspired and you can be encouraged, but do not transpose how God did it to them as how he should do it to you. Fortunately, David didn't hold those expectations. He just embraced the journey as it unfolded and eventually the promise was fulfilled. You know, I think of Jesus. Before he was taken to be crucified, he's with the disciples and he has this conversation in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 where he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you men like wheat. I want, I want to highlight that. I think sometimes we read our Bibles fast. And, and we, we, if we were to ask to quote that scripture, do you know the sift of wheat one? We'd probably say, oh yeah, that's where Jesus told Simon that the devil wanted to sift him. No, that's not true. Jesus told Simon that the devil wanted to sift them all of them. So he's speaking to Simon saying, this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, for what? That your faith would not fail. 
And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now he's being direct to Simon saying, here's your part in helping everybody else. So you're gonna have to strengthen them. Clearly, as Jesus was about to die, he was concerned about the disciples and the fact that they could lose their faith. Why was Jesus concerned? Because he knew there was gonna be unfulfilled expectations. He knew there was gonna be unfulfilled expectations. Then later on in the scriptures, after Jesus has been crucified, you have these disciples that are walking along. It's the third day. He's already risen from the grave. And he joins up with these guys. Luke chapter 24 and verse 17. He said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? So Jesus has joined up with these guys, but he hasn't made himself known to them. I don't know. Maybe he's wearing a hoodie. You know, he just shows up and kind of walking along. Hey, guys, what are you talking about? And they came to, uh, to a stop. So he says this. These guys like stop, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you, just catch this. this, this guy's talking to the resurrected Jesus. Are you like possibly the only living person near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that happened these days? The irony is incredible. But Jesus has a sense of humor. So what does he do? He plays along. He's like, oh, this is good. So Jesus just plays along. He's like, what sort of things? <laughs> they said to him, those about Jesus, the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet, mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. Now watch this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. What Jesus knew was this, that the disciples saw him as a redeemer. After all, blind people see, deaf people hear, lame people walk, and dead people are raised to life. That's redemption. But what he also knew was that they had this expectation of him as a redeemer of Israel in a way that would triumph over the oppressive Roman Empire and set in a new government. Jesus, of course, is the redeemer of Israel. He's actually the redeemer of the world. But what Jesus was not going to do for them is offer a political solution to a spiritual problem. Mm because there is no political solution to the spiritual problem of sin and separation from God. There is only a savior solution. His redemption was about restoring hearts back to God, not just changing a government. And, and here's, here's the deal, here's the deal. And I want, I want to clarify this because I sure don't want anybody going out of church going, our pastor told us not to vote. No, I did not say that. We need political solutions to political problems. But don't think a political solution will solve a spiritual problem. Jesus knew that the disciples would be disappointed by the fact that this wasn't happening, uh, that they, they had expe this expectation that wasn't gonna be fulfilled. So what is his answer to their disappointment? He prays that their faith would not fail. How do you handle disappointment? Here's how. You live in the tension of letting go of your expectations while holding on to his promises. 
Don't impose your expectations regarding his promises. Just hold on to the promises and let God work out the details. Okay, here's the last one. We can lose our faith when we become discouraged. Discouragement is the loss of hope and confidence towards our expectations. And and typically, the context of discouragement is this. When is God going to do it? It's often, often discouragement is in the context of time. Things I'm believing for are taking longer than I thought. The lame man at the pool of Bethesda, he's not discouraged. He's still showing up. He's been there for 38 years. Abraham's waiting for a son, 25 years. He waited for that son. We are not, though, mentally conditioned for endurance. We are only conditioned for sprints. That is, that is our culture. That is who we are. We, are. we are microwave people, right? It's like you go home, you're not thinking about how am I going to spend the next two hours cooking dinner. You're hoping the package says 30 seconds because you got a 30-second button on your microwave and you want to use it. Bless God, 30 seconds. That's long enough. I don't even want to use a 60-second button. I want 30 seconds. You don't have to wait for it to come on TV. You have Netflix. You can put it on yourself. You don't have to do the trouble of going to a couple of stores and looking things up. You can go online, look it up, and then order from Amazon and just wait at home till it shows up. Listen, the battles you face in life, though, are not that way. The battles you face in life take time. They get delayed, and they delay things, other things in your life. They, they create suffering. They demand your attention and your energy, sometimes for even years. And sometimes we fight things that just will not completely go away, but we've learned how not to let it inhibit everything else that we're doing. Things take longer. Things cost more. Things are a greater challenge. And in that context, it can create an environment where you can get discouraged. When Jesus talked about his death and his resurrection, he was describing the experience of going through something brutal as the cross and then fulfilling the promise of the resurrection to be the savior of the world. And he uses a woman in labor as as the context that he describes it in. John chapter 16 and verse 21 says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. You know, You might be struggling right now with how hard it is and how long it's taking and how much it's costing and and you're standing in faith for your promise to be fulfilled, that thing to be born to you. But I wanna say to you, when it happens, those things will be diminished in your thoughts. Every bit of discouragement, when you get your answer, when you get your breakthrough, when you get your turnaround, you're not gonna give more time to just thinking about how long it was, how hard it was, how much it cost. Why? Because the joy of seeing that breakthrough, the joy of victory, the joy of an answer promise overwhelms all of the cost of getting there. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's that time disappointment thing. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, how do we overcome discouragement? How do we keep our hope and our confidence? Well, we do it through endurance. Hebrews 10, 36 says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. When you stop enduring, 
your attention will go to the timetable. Your attention will go to the clock. Your attention will go to the calendar. Now you're all about how long is this taking? How, how much more do I have to wait? Endurance is what prevents you from putting time constraints on your goal and keeping you focused on the promise, not just the calendar. God reminded Abraham about his promise. You know, God made a promise to Abraham, you're gonna have a son, you're gonna be the father of nations. And as Abraham was waiting for that to come to pass, God was with him one time and said, hey, look up at the sky. Can you count the stars? That's how many descendants you're gonna have. God's with them one time. When they're on the beach, he kicks the sand. He says, look at the sand on the beach, Abraham. Why don't you try and count all the granules? That's how many descendants you're gonna have. But here's a conversation God never, ever had with Abraham. God never had a conversation about his calendar until it was like, boom, we're pregnant, it's happening. Never had that conversation. God reminded Abraham of his promise, sands in the beach, stars in the sky, but didn't have a discussion at year 10 about the timetable. It's keeping your attention on what it is that you are believing for, not how long it's taking, that will give you the grace to endure. Endurance simply means this, put up with it, put up with it. If it's gonna take another year, put up with it. If it's gonna cost you more than you thought, just put up with it. If it's gonna get uncomfortable and stressful for a while, just put up with it. As long as you endure, you'll keep the faith, you'll stay in the fight, and you'll receive the promise. Can we all stand as we take time to pray? Lord, I just pray right now for, for people who may have been disillusioned about how they thought you would work in their life. Lord, I, I, I pray for them that, that they would hold your promise while looking for the process and giving themselves to what they need to do at this time rather than holding on to disillusionment. May we go back to a place of faith. May we go back to a place of trusting your promise and embracing the process to getting there. Lord, I, I pray for people who feel disappointed by what happened or did not happen. Your word says, trust in the Lord, you won't be disappointed. Father, may they hang on to their promises without superimposing expectations on them. Lord, I pray for people who feel discouraged, who maybe feel like this is costing more than I thought, this is taking a longer time than I thought it would take, and those sorts of things. Lord, I pray their attention once again would go to your promises not the clock, not the calendar, but just the hope of what it is that you're going to do. And as we walk with you, I thank you, Father, that you are a God who keeps his promises. That, Lord, you are a God who fulfills his promises. And that, Lord, we can speak your word, declare your promises, and believe for our circumstances to line up as we do life with you. Father, thank you for equipping us to win our internal battle. May disillusionment, disappointment, and discouragement never take us out of the fight. And may we embrace the process. May we let go of our expectations. May we set our attention on your word in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, I wanna pray one more prayer in just a moment for people who have not yet surrendered their life to Christ, not yet said yes to Jesus to follow him with all their heart. 
You know, God's answer to sin in your life is not a self-help lesson. It's not about a new set of rules for you to live by. It's not about some new order that needs to happen in your life. God's answer for your life is a changed heart. And he changes our heart when we receive his forgiveness, reconnect with the Heavenly Father, and declare him as the leader of our life. Begin to follow Jesus. Maybe that hasn't happened for you yet. Maybe maybe you've not yet made that step for whatever reason. That doesn't matter. You're here today. You're listening today. You can make the step today. Maybe you're someone who says, you know, I, I prayed that prayer. I thought I made that step. But in all honesty, I, I wasn't wholehearted about it. I wasn't all in. Well, you can be all in right now. You can make it right between you and God right now. So with our heads bowed, for those who are in the room who would say, I need to pray this prayer, those who are online, let's pray together with every one of them. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me so much that you go to the cross and die for me. I ask you to forgive my past. I invite you into my life. I confess you as my Savior, and I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.